Hi everybody and welcome to this recording of Activist Lawyer. I'm joined in the studio today by Jack McClelland. Hello everybody. And today's guest is Declan Owens. Declan Owens is the CEO of Eco Justice Ireland and Eco Justice Legal Centre after previously working as a strategic campaigning lawyer in the trade union law group of Thompson Solicitors which is the UK's foremost social justice firm working in the field of workers' rights and trade union law. So we have a few, Declan's highly accomplished and I think it's worth mentioning the areas that he's worked in because it will feed into part of the podcast. He formerly worked in the International Centre for Trade Unions Rights in the legal department of the International Trade Union Confederation and the Bureau for Workers' Activities of the International Labour Organisation. He is now chair of the Haldane Society of Socialist Lawyers in the UK, leading a 700-strong membership in articulating the need for system change for climate justice. Declan represented some of the largest unions in the UK, including Unite and Unison, but also, the most interesting, including the National Union of Journalists and the Public and Commercial Services Union, which is the largest civil service union in the UK. He developed a climate justice strategy premised on using the latent power of the union movement to lead a just transition, something we'll cover in more detail. He is embedded in his community of Dundrum, County Down, working with Collaboration for Change, the YMCA, Friends of the Earth Northern Ireland, The Gathering, U3A and the Environmental Justice Network Ireland. Declan's active in the Dolmans Climate Action Network in Castle Wellen and is part of the Climate Action Network International. He also works with the European Lawyers for Workers Network and the European Lawyers for Democracy and Human Rights. He recently set up a climate justice branch for Unite the Union's community membership to link communities and workers to explore the need for a just transition. And we're going to talk about all of that in detail. Thank you. Hello everybody and welcome to this recording of Activist Lawyer and we have a fantastic guest Declan Owens. Hi Declan, thank you for coming in. Hi Sarah, you're very welcome. (laughs) I think I've left out one or two of the organisations and your work that you've been involved with that we will touch on but wow, (laughs) such an extensive experience. We're just saying there you've recently returned home to Castle Wellen. That's right, well to Dundrum actually. To Dundrum, okay. Very good. Where from? Where were you b- beforehand? I was most recently in London, and uh, it's quite the contrast being back home um, in Dundrum, but that was the intention to have a different atmosphere. Oh, very good. So such, yeah, quite a big transition then. Yeah, okay. but I, I've enjoyed the transition. And it seems like you're bringing a lot of the experience from working and living away back back home with you in terms of some of the newer organisations that you're involved in and helping to start up around climate uh, justice and um, the areas of work that you're continuing to work for. Yes, that's right. I guess um, I always felt that I should be giving back to society here. Um, I was educated in Dublin and in um, Downpatrick. So, you know, I feel that affinity to the area and to the country having grown up here. So I guess with the benefit of the experience that I've had internationally, mm. I, I wanted to um, come back and engage with local communities and society here to bring some of that benefit. Fantastic. Well, you're clearly very passionate about um, your area of work, but you might let us know, how did you pursue this as a career? You know, you're a lawyer as well. And how did you, how did this all come about? Because you're heavily involved in um, making change around climate justice and um, the Eco Justice Group that you set up as well. We'll talk about that, Eco Justice Ireland too. Yeah, well, it's an evolution. I guess growing up in Ireland, we have a political consciousness, um, particularly in the North. 
and that um, was impactful in the, the decision to study law. But in the course of studying law, I felt that um, politics was actually more important than law because, in a way, law is formed by politics and it can change over time because of political influences. So an important step in the evolution was um, an internship in the US where I met a lawyer who um, is a socialist lawyer and he introduced me to the Haldian Society of Socialist Lawyers and I'm now chair of that organization. So the evolution was a, a way of engaging in social justice issues and finding how that may impact um, society the best. And originally I focused on labour law. Mm-hmm. And then looking at the issues with labour law, you can see how collective action is often more effective than law. So trade unions... Um, and the way they engage can actually achieve more than the law can achieve in particular circumstances. Mm-hmm. But do you think it's necessary for that? You mentioned collective action. Throughout your work and just reading about it, there seems to be strong collaboration with organisations, with various different industries, including both trade unions, activists, etc. But you as a lawyer as well, in, in some of your work, you've taken or put together a strategic litigation approach, say, for example. How do you see that progressing change or affecting change? Well, I, I think it's it's very important to work with local groups and organisations on the ground. Uh, it's crucial to understand that the law is part of their campaign rather than the law being the end result in and of itself. I think that sometimes lawyers can have too much faith in the law without a political or ideological analysis. Mm-hmm. And in the way that um, some groups operate, the law will never achieve justice for them. Mm-hmm. So I think that often justice is obtained through campaigning and the law can assist in some circumstances with that. Mm-hmm. And you were speaking there about the Halden Society and that you're a chair. Um, and I was reading just before the podcast about the f- over 700 members, I think. So if you want to explain just to the listeners what is the Halden Society, just to give a bit of an insight into it. Sure. Well, Haldian Society was formed in 1930. It is non-party political, but was originally associated with the Labour Party. But throughout the the Cold War, there were tensions within um, the Labour movement, and you know the the Haldian Society took a more socialist view than the the Labour Party. So we went our separate ways. But the idea behind the Haldian Society is to view the law from a socialist perspective. So I would consider myself a socialist first and a lawyer second. The way we operate is collaboration with various community groups and campaigns. And we take a collective position in our executive committee, which is formed of 30 members. So each of those 30 members could be on different campaigns. And therefore we provide the collective position to amplify each of those campaigns and bring our individual skills and experiences to bear. We um, also work internationally with the International Association of Democratic Lawyers and the European 
uh, lawyers for democracy and world human rights. So we work at a national level in Britain, and it, you know, has um, a certain prestige within the legal community. Even though we we've you know small number of members, our president is Mike Mansfield QC, and we have ten vice presidents who are all prominent in their fields. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So you mentioned there the International Association of Democratic Lawyers. I think it's timely having you here just before, I think it's the 31st of October to the 12th of November. The COP26 is supposedly going ahead in Glasgow. Um, you've helped in the preparation of a statement for that um, in advance of the actual Conference of Parties itself. What are the demands or the aims of that organisation in terms of um, you know informing the public about your aims, your goals, when it comes to considering climate change at UN level? Okay, so in terms of the IEDL's demands for COP26, we want emergency action at a scale and pace commensurate with the um, COVID crisis and the action taken by states there. I think we demand no further fossil fuel extraction or false solutions, which don't go far enough, like um, too much reliance on future technologies. Mm -hmm. So to maintain a fight for 1.5 degrees or lower, and we want real zero, not net zero targets um, on future extraction. And states parties can sign a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty, which has been drafted and reject the carbon markets, which are a form of carbon colonialism in the way they operate and most importantly we want a just transition that impacts workers, communities and particularly developing countries in a way that is just and fair. So what exactly, so just as transition, I see you've mentioned that a few times and you say what, what exactly does that mean in, in reality? So a just transition is a trade union concept which has been around in one form or another since the start of the industrial revolution but its current manifestation focuses on the real aspects of climate change Mm -hmm. and the systemic change that we then need for society so it was developed with the idea of ensuring that workers had jobs and income when the societal transformations and systemic change occurs Mm -hmm. so if one considers the impact of the shutting down of the coal mines in britain There wasn't a just transition there because there was no real afterthought given to the communities and the workers affected by the closing of the mines. But that's now going to replicate on a worldwide scale with many workers and communities impacted by the way in which economic policies will need to change to have net zero or real zero um, targets implemented. Then I know in the introduction that Sarah was speaking about, she spoke about the Eco Justice Ireland and Eco Justice Legal Action Centre. So, if you just want to give the listeners just a quick oversight of what they are and the aims of Such both of those, work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, the Eco Justice Legal Action Centre was conceived to bring the collective power of trade unions to bear on the um, legal landscape and use my experience as a trade union lawyer to merge that collective action with the collective action that's needed for climate justice Mm -hmm. and um, we're looking at strategic litigation which is going to be impactful 
and at a scale that's necessary in the um, emergency that we face. Mm. So that that may involve actions against um, big corporations or national governments. We're talking a lot about climate justice these days and I think you see it, do you think it's an emerging area of law? More people are getting involved in it in, you know, growing careers in environmental law and, you know, um, even bigger corporations getting involved now. Is it something you've noticed a trend in or? Yeah, certainly. I I think there is more awareness of it now. I I think a lot of corporations are greenwashing in the sense that Mm -hmm. they're not truly committed to it because, they want the, the system to go on as usual and feel that capitalism has the answer. But I think that all lawyers should effectively be climate lawyers because yeah. the way in which climate change impacts society means that we all need to consider how the law is an agent in that change and mm-hmm. how it has contributed to climate change in the first place. And of course, it impacts societies in a different level, you know, across globally. And I guess I heard somebody speaking on the radio and it's talk, they were talking about we all imagine our future. You know, it's still this talk about our future and how it's going to be impacted by climate change. But the reality is that the majority of the world are actually living the dire effects of climate change at the moment. And I know in your um, writings, you talk about the the north and um, the global north and the global south. How can we ensure, you, you know, it's a message that is lost on people, you know, most of us do think about it as a future problem that we're trying to resolve, but really it's it's here. So as lawyers and as part of the organisations that you're involved in, how do you ensure that those maybe underrepresented but hugely impacted societies are being heard at top level? Well, the issue is one of inequality and the after effects of colonialism. And one could say colonialism still... Um, is in existence in, in numerous ways. The The nature of capitalism meant that the way in which societies developed and industrial societies meant that the, there was continued expansion into the, the global south. And we, we definitely have a blind spot in relation to the way it impacts um, populations of the, of the global south. So capitalism has evolved and outsourced a lot of the the ways in which we in the global north operate and think mm-hmm. and we, we definitely do not consider the the impacts and the injustices that occur in the global south and we can't outsource our way of um, extraction of fossil fuels to the global south or in net zero targets have some of that target being fulfilled through the ongoing exploitation of global south countries So I think with the work that we do with the International Association of Democratic Lawyers, we have members in the Global South and they inform our view of matters, including indigenous communities, and we we deal with the way they think about the world and it's very much Mm -hmm. a contrast to how things are thought about in the Global North. And I suppose feeding on from that, will not avoid the question of COVID-19 and that has to play a huge part in the considerations of this COP26 event that's planned to go ahead um, you know, this week. How have you seen and in your writings and your research and collaboration with other groups, how has the unprecedented pandemic across the world even highlighted pre-existing problems around climate change or has it in fact highlighted these issues? Has it helped in any way to highlight them or has it made situations much worse? Well, it's made situations worse, but I think that the initial 
response was that it's not a time for ideology. Well, that's wrong. It was a time for ideology. We would say it was a time for socialism and collective action. Now, collective action was taken. It was taken at a huge emergency scale and trillions were um, pumped into the economy by um, the rich countries of the world. But there's been an inequality of access to vaccines, for example, and the way in which the Global North countries have hoarded um, vaccines for themselves and not provided what's necessary for Global South countries to deal effectively with COVID is, you know, concerning and is is very much uh, an accentuation of pre-existing inequalities. And I think that, you know, one could say that, you know, we shouldn't go back to normal. This um, hope that people have of getting back to life as normal is, is incorrect because we are facing the climate emergency and it is emergency. We've had declarations of um, a climate emergency, but not the actions commensurate yeah. with the, the scale of the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that... The climate crisis doesn't see any borders, but if we're talking about north of the border at the moment in Northern Ireland, how has Northern Ireland at a political level, at the very top, how are they dealing with this climate crisis? Well, they're not dealing with it effectively at all. We're the only jurisdiction within these islands not to have a Climate Change Act, but there's two bills going through Stormont at the moment. Both are inadequate, but um, one is a private member's bill introduced by the Green Party, which has cross-party support apart from the DUP. And it's better than the second piece of legislation, which was introduced by the DUP and is less ambitious in scale. Mm. So there's ongoing political debate and both bills are, are going through committee. I had input in the consultation for both and I pointed out some of the inadequacies, but both are, are premised on society going ahead as normal or going back to normal. And my analysis is that society must change yeah. radically. You know, I don't accept the legitimacy of the institutions that persist at the moment. And we, we need emergency action on the scale that Extinction Rebellion are advocating. And that should have changes within our institutions um, at a local and national level. Yeah, and then with Eco Justice Ireland, is there a collaboration between the North and the South for the climate crisis? Yes, well, as you say, climate change doesn't know borders, and um, I recently formed Eco Justice Ireland Community Interest Company with a view of engaging with local communities, North and South, to highlight their campaigns and to educate people in the way in which a just transition can and should work and the interaction between communities and workforces and the way in which nature is affected Mm -hmm. and indeed we advocate the rights of nature. So for example, I would be quite happy if the Mourn Mountains was given legal personhood to sue and you know there's that possibility but again it, it requires political change to inaugurate the institutions that are necessary. I'm just interested I guess in your work here on the ground and you're obviously very much still involved in an international platform feeding into all of these reports Um, but how um, what's next for your work here in Northern Ireland um, or on on the island between Ireland and the UK when it comes to um, pushing your work forward? 
Well, I returned um, to Ireland to bring a sort of local, regional, national and international approach to the issue. So I felt that living in London was missing a certain part of the consciousness that I needed to bring to the issue. So I decided to return to Dundrum and live beside Murloc Nature Reserve and mm, have a beautiful. yeah, and have a office that overlooks the Mourns, and that reinforces the mission and the way in which I want to engage in these issues. So I think um, having an appreciation of nature through Murloc Nature Reserve, being able to walk on the beach, looking over the mountains, all has an impact. So. I can work locally through community organisations and campaigns and that's part of the idea behind Eco Justice Ireland. And it is conceived to educate um, young people and older generations in the sense that there's a need for intergenerational justice and the way in which um, there's a lack of engagement sometimes between um, the youth and older generations mm-hmm. in media discourse. It's highlighted, for example, through Brexit, through property yeah. prices, and indeed very much through climate change. So I think um, engaging locally, there's that. Engaging nationally within Ireland, I'm reaching out to various groups, having lived in Dublin and have you know various contacts there. And then... Within Britain, I retain the um, role as co-chair of the Haldian Society, so I'm operating with um, contacts and various groups there. And then as part of the um, role that I have on the Bureau of the International Association of Democratic mm-hmm. Lawyers, then I take an, an international approach. So, so try on every level. <laughs> yeah, trying to fuse that yeah, absolutely. Um, is, is important. And I feel that, um, you know, the, the idea of think global act local really brought it home to me that if I was going to act local I'd prefer to do it in County Down than in London. Why not? Such a beautiful setting as well I can see why. So Declan we're obviously recording here in the big smoke in Newry City and recently there have been calls I know Unite the Union an organisation that you've been involved with have been involved in galvanising local community members and representatives together to call for a green space for Newry and a park for Newry have you been involved with this or, you know, have, is this something that you're interested in as well? Yes, very much. So Unite the Union has about 1.5 million members in Britain and Ireland. And that's a strong um, community to bring to bear on any particular issue. But Unite also have a community branch and that is open to students, unwaged and retirees. And it's usually focused in a particular area. And the um, Unite Community branch within the North have engaged and helped support the issue of a park in Uri. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, we uh, well, I've helped form a Unite Community Climate Justice branch. So the issues fuse in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we can see how local communities need that green space and they, they need to demand that of their local representatives. And the way in which Unite engage in workforces throughout Britain and Ireland mean that they have that power to exert and they have done very effectively with the demonstration on Saturday in Newry and they've brought together a number of people. And that um, is part of the just transition as well because, you know, we need to reappreciate the environment in which we live and part of that is to 
you know, give space for communities to get together, give green space for workers to take um, their lunch on a break. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it means that it, it helps to contribute to the way in which we reconceive our relationship with the urban environment as well as the, the natural environment. Again, it's another example of how collaboration, you know, will make change because this has been on the back burner for God, decades. I think this this talk about Nuri not, and it's quite hard to believe in this day and age they're still calling for it and fighting for it. Um, but I guess organisations like yourself and individuals coming together, you know, are really pushing this forward. So, yes, yeah, so that's that's exactly right. I think it's another issue of activism where a broad coalition of parties can effectuate change because. The way in which we look at the urban landscape is part of how we need to reconceive our societies to operate differently in the context of systemic change. And there's this concept of the the 15-minute city where people live and work within their local environments. And that, therefore, means for me the way in which trade unions and community groups can work together and Unite has a way of doing that through um, having their community branch and the, the way that I conceive Unite Community Climate Justice Branch is that it will operate over Britain and Ireland but mm-hmm. you know that's not attached to any geographical area like other okay. branches but for the, the moment that's how it will operate but people then can set up their own branches in particular communities as this issue and this idea um, gets further popularity within trade union movements because, mm-hmm. you know, the typical model is for climate, or <laughs> the typical model is for um, unite community branches to be attached to particular towns and cities. And I think that um, if unite community climate justice branch then attaches itself to different communities, that will be um, a. a, a great way to reconceive the the just transition yeah as opposed to just um geographically attaching you know you get more of an effect if it's um more widespread i guess yes and therefore i'd encourage um people who are um interested in this to think about signing up as, as a member of unite community and to get in touch in relation to um joining up okay and they can find the details of that on... On the Unite the Union's website. And um, if they do sign up um, as a student um, on wage person or retiree, they should um, refer to signing up as a Unite Community Climate Justice Branch member and um, you know pr- provide those details okay. to, to Unite on their website. Just bringing us back a little bit you mentioned extinction rebellion there and obviously you're working within a strategy and a framework um but there are many ways to you know make your voice heard and to um strategize and to achieve one's aims are there many rallies planned for in advance of the the upcoming un convention the the cop 26 that we just spoke about and how effective do you think they are i mean there's a lot of press at the moment about various protests across the uk etc etc how do you think they work are people being listened to what's your thoughts well for the last two years i've been part of a group called the campaign against climate change trade union group and we helped form and administer the COP26 coalition in Britain, which is uh, an alliance of trade unions and civil society groups to have pressure on the state's parties at the um, COP26 deliberations. 
So that was an issue which um, I felt could be translated here in Ireland. So whenever I returned a few months ago, I got in touch with various organisations to organise COP26 coalition in Ireland. So I helped organise the... Um, the protests that are going to happen on the 6th of November in Derry, in Belfast and in Dublin mm-hmm. and used the um, templates and the, the way we had organised in Britain yeah. for that. So there's now going to be demonstrations in Belfast, in Dublin, in Derry and in other Irish cities on the 6th of November, mm-hmm. which is known as the Global Day of Action. That's the, the conception we have okay. with the COP26 coalition, which will then have worldwide demonstrations on that day, which is the midpoint of the COP. yeah, halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, and will they listen? (laughs) I mean, there seems to be a sense, a bit of a doom and gloom sense about this event. Even Johnson himself was recently saying, you know, I'm not sure how effective it will be. And obviously this is a massive PR boost for, for the UK to host this event. But there doesn't seem to be any kind of excitement about it from that top setting level. setting it up to fail nearly it, or it's, before it's even... It just seems yeah. a bit dreary from the outset. Is that... Am I picking that up wrong? No, you're, you're right, but that goes back to what I was saying in terms of the action is premised on the way the system operates as normal. It's premised on capitalism. Mm-hmm. I reject that analysis, as do, do many within the, the COP26 coalition. I feel that we need a, a socialist society. I think we need organised centralised planning to rapidly and urgently really change the, the nature of how society operates. So groups like Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain are highlighting these issues and you can see from the reaction by the mainstream press and by the politicians um, in Westminster that they are actually cracking down on these groups. Yeah. But I would retain a sense of optimism. I think you need to do so to do this work and the way in which COVID has impacted society while it's been absolutely awful for so many people there is um, a grain of hope within that because of the emergency action that can be taken because of the greater appreciation of nature and the the way in which we need to interact with um, communities and with families I think that can um, be brought forward to react to the climate in a way that's necessary and when we look at climate change we also have to think of biodiversity loss and particularly within Ireland we have too much reliance on the agricultural industry and it's not um, certainly from an agri-business point of view um, helping Ireland to meet its um, targets mm-hmm. and that that's in, in Ireland north and south. So we look forward to, I suppose, you mentioned the development and I guess you said it's inadequate, the bills that have been put forward in Northern Ireland. But I guess it's something to keep an eye on to see. I mean, because apart from um, law, we need litigation as well. Is that, do you feel, you know, a sense that we need an increase in lawyers to come together to take action um, in as a response to changes in climate? I think law has a role. I, I think that it's more important that people um, get out on the streets on the 6th of November because mm-hmm. when you look back at the positive developments in society, um, you know most of that has been demanded from below, from the streets, from people, from community groups, from organisations. So some of the tactics used by Extinction Rebellion were used by um, the suffragettes 
and they were unpopular at the time, but nobody would yeah. now say that that's not how society should be in terms of the, the, the rights of women. It was the same with with slavery or with um, racial injustice sure. um, embedded in the law. So my view is that the law will follow um, the demands of people, and that's very much what happened with the trade union movement, whether it was shorter working hours, um, pensions, weekends, um, the way in which we should have um, more equality within our society, within existing capitalism. But as I alluded to, we, we need to go much, much beyond the existing paradigms of the economy in which we, we now live. Yeah, so um, I think that's fantastic. And I know that people are going to be listening to this and we have a lot of student listeners. Um, so if you could provide any tips, any advice to young listeners, young lawyers, activist lawyers, about how to get into the work that you're involved in specifically. Well, I'd certainly advocate that they join the Haldane Society of, of Socialist Lawyers, but you know, I appreciate not everybody will take a, a socialist view. I think activist lawyers, if they feel that they're going to operate within the existing system, that's a liberal mindset and a liberal way of thinking. So you you know you can take an issue in an isolated manner and feel that you're affecting change on that particular issue, mm -hmm. but we need wider wider change. And I think that um, certainly I went through that um, evolution where you know I, I felt that I, I needed to move beyond uh, a liberal conception of society because whenever you engage in an issue and that has some um, success in strategic litigation. There's many more issues outside that issue where you, you may be successful, so you're really only tinkering at the edges. So I think that um, students maybe have that uh, misconception of the law initially, certainly, but um, my experience having met particular people and having been within the Haldian Society for 17 years that was like an alternative education and an alternative way of understanding the law and understanding society. So I think that the, the current models of legal education don't um, provide the, the proper way for people to think about the law and, and about society. I think that a lot of people think about the prestige of being a lawyer in and of itself. And I would say that the law should be something that is grounded in the need to give back to society. Mm -hmm. So I think that students who are looking for um, a career in human rights, I think they, they need to look at human rights within the existing capitalist system and realise that a liberal conception of human rights will only take you so far. However, there's good work that you can do as a lawyer within that system but I think you need to come to it with a, an ideological approach and engage with local communities, engage, engage with trade unions. And in fact, um, the Haldane Society is part of um, the reconception of the law because we um, have engaged in setting up a trade union for lawyers and for people within the sector, which can include um, receptionists, paralegals, um, security guards, cleaners mm -hmm. within the um, the various law mm -hmm. firms or within the, the Ministry of Justice, for example. We had a protest there supporting in solidarity the the cleaners and the um, 
the people that, that worked on in security to to try and ensure there was better um, working conditions for them. So Declan, I'm just thinking of your work is heavily involved in terms of um, your membership of trade unions and your work with trade unions and on behalf of trade unions. Sometimes, I guess, the standard kind of concept of a lawyer and being in the law, you don't. there's a disconnect between that and membership of a trade union, but it heavily infiltrates your work. Um, how is that and do you see that as a progressive thing as part of your career and your journey? Yes, yeah, certainly. Whenever I was a young lawyer, I... Um, engaged with a campaign group called the Blacklist Support Group and that um, was an organisation of construction workers who were blacklisted by multinational companies. So I I worked on a case that went to the European Court of Human Rights but took seven years to get there. But in that time we engaged very heavily with the Blacklist Support Group and then during that period, I decided to do a master's in European international labour law, and that took me to Amsterdam. And then after that, I worked for a think tank in relation to labour law, and then worked for the International Trade Union Confederation, and then the Workers' Bureau of the ILO. So those experiences very much meant that I felt that the law was... um, inadequate to deal with the the issues that we wanted to change Mm -hmm. because in relation to blacklisting there was elements that needed to be changed through direct action and demonstrations that the workers took. Also in relation to policy issues we had the support of um, John McDonnell before he was Mm -hmm. um, more prominent within the Labour Party and he gave us um, access to his office to support and um, amplify the, the issue and then there's a campaign for a public inquiry. So whenever I returned to London to work for Thompson Solicitors, we um, had the opportunity to be members of a trade union within the law firm. Mm -hmm. And that's very unusual within the law. Um, It provides a collective voice that lawyers can bring to their employer Mm -hmm. and ensure that they get um, better working conditions and indeed the whole staff within the firm. And then um, with some of the work I've been doing with the Haldane Society of Socialist Lawyers, some of our members set up a trade union within the legal sector as part of the United Voices of the World Trade Union, which is mainly made up of migrant communities and um, security guards and cleaners. Mm -hmm. So we conceived the Legal Sector Workers United branch of the United Voices of the World Trade Union And that operates in solidarity with those communities, but is open to anyone that works in the legal sector to advance um, the issues that we all have in common and that we care about, but ultimately to provide better working conditions to lawyers and to anyone that's involved in the sector. Yeah, as we spoke before, I think previously at Stormont there was a climate event. And then you spoke about the 6th of November, about the events there. Is there any other events that you'd like to highlight for any of our listeners that are, com- that are coming up soon? Yes, well, um, the Haldane Society is running a series of human rights lectures and I would encourage people to look at our website, um, haldane.org, mm-hmm. where we, um, ha- we advertise the various lectures and talks that we have. We've one coming up on the 4th of November looking at the British government's legacy proposals for the 
um, the troubles and mm -hmm. there's um, local people from here speaking. There's uh, Pat Finucane Centre and the uh, Committee on the Administration of Justice. We have speakers looking at the impact that the um, proposals will have mm -hmm. on victims groups. Um, I'd, I'd also highlight the People's Summit, which is part of the um, COP26 coalition's plans for the COP26. Mm -hmm. So the People's Summit is like an alternative view that the people around the world are taking to these issues. So there's many different lectures that are on the website that you can attend. The, um, the website is, um, if you Google COP26 coalition, You'll see the information on the Global Day of Action and the People's Summit. And I've helped organise the Irish contribution to that, which is on the rights of nature. Mm -hmm. And we've got a, a local um, group of activists who are very much um, engaged in this issue across the island. And I think that it's something which is important. For example, I helped draft a motion in relation to the Rights of Nature, which is currently going through the Newry Morn and Down District Council, mm -hmm. and that's following the success in Derry and Straban, where they passed a motion in relation to the, the Rights of Nature and have inaugurated a, a programme to try and make that real within their community. So I'd encourage listeners here to um, keep an eye out for that and support their local yeah, councillors absolutely. in passing that sort of motion and trying to... Um, emphasize the, the relationship that we have as part of nature mm -hmm. humans yeah. are part of nature and interact in that way so um huge amount going on that yeah. we wouldn't have been aware of necessarily yeah, yeah that, that's right um but i think i'd certainly encourage people to get on the streets of, of belfast Derry, dublin um cork galway all you over the 6th of november that is yeah of, yeah so remember, remember the 6th, 6th of November, November not yeah. the 5th this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, um, something that we ask everybody, and it's probably a just a very vague and broad question to you, given the amount of work that you do, but what does activism mean to you? And everybody that's come on here has given a different answer. I'm really interested to hear what that term means for you and to you. So I think activism is firmly embedded in my conception of trade unionism and socialism. I think that... I always approached the issue of being an activist lawyer as, as part of socialist ideology, which is inherent in the way in which we analyze and interact with society. So activism comes from the desire that we all have to create a better world or that we should have, whether we, we have it or not. And I think that, you know, you can pick many various issues to get involved in, and I have over my career. But I, I think that, um, you know, you need to approach it with idealism, with kindness, with an understanding of humans and history and the way in which we can't draw a line under history in, in the way that we conceive justice. Um, I think we, we have to have that analysis where we look at the evolution of capitalism, of colonization, of decolonization and the pre-existing inequalities um, that that leaves for our current society. So whenever you have um, institutions like the, the City of London or offshore jurisdictions and tax isn't being paid, mm -hmm. that's a relic of colonialism. When I say a relic, it's actually existing colonialism. So I, I think that um, activism needs to have a broad analysis. If you pick um, one issue, it's more like identity politics. 
And I think that, you know, people can and should be passionate about various issues, but bring a socialist analysis to it. And I, I know that's a minority viewpoint, but um, I believe it's right. And when you're looking at ideals, I think you should look at the, the highest possible way of envisaging society and how it can and should change. Because mm-hmm. if you don't shoot for the the highest um, way of thinking about society, then you know you'll accept too many compromises, and we we haven't. Um, obtained the benefit of, of compromises in, in the way that um, society has evolved. So we need rapid change and that's why I think climate justice is an issue that pervades all other issues and why I've moved from working as a trade union lawyer because I, I feel, as I said before, that we can have greater collective action on this issue and with six million trade unionists in Britain and Ireland there's that latent capacity of the trade union movement to bring its power to bear. Mm-hmm. But also those members have families and communities which um, are impacted as well. So whether it's flooding or air pollution, we can and should engage in these issues of activism at a local level, at a regional level and a national and international level. So that's that's why I've sought to fuse that in the, in the work that I do and try and um, you know advocate the, the need for activism and for idealism in the way in which we engage in our societies. Fantastic. Well, look, you have a seriously busy time ahead of you and we really look forward to following progress as well and um, we'll share some of the links to your work as well for listeners who are interested in it. Thank you. And um, we really want to thank you for coming in. It's been such an insightful look into your area of work. Uh, we've learned so much yeah, it's been great as well. So we really thank you for sharing that with us. You're, you're very welcome and it's, it's a pleasure to engage with us and to... Um, you know, witness how you're bringing the issue of activism to um, society and to lawyers. So thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Thanks, Declan. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.